It's that time of year again. The music, the lights, the trees, children asking for the most expensive things for gifts. The amount of optimism and faith kids have at Christmas time is astonishing to me. But as I begin to look back in my own life, I remember asking my dad, this is, you gotta understand that when I was, when I was, I don't know, probably, this was elementary school. Laptops were just beginning to be a thing. I mean, you can imagine this brick. It was really, <laughs> it was really, really big. But I, that's what I kept asking for year after year was like a $5,000 laptop computer with the optimism that one day I was just going to tear open a box and there it was going to be. The amount of faith that I had in my dad to buy something so ridiculous for a a fourth grader. (laughs) But things don't really change much, do they? As years go by and the kids have that faith and I, you know, to have the kind of faith and persistence of a child But wait, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Open your Bibles with me as we explore more about this to Matthew chapter 7. As we near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, can you believe that? A whole year. We started in January, and we've just kept on going. We're almost done. We're not going to be able to get it done by the end of the year, but close. Jesus seems to be finalizing his thoughts. He's bringing things back around. He's hit some pretty hard points, right? And as he began talking directly to the disciples, and last week we discovered that he's, you know, he's saying, don't utilize, don't, don't be the standard. Let Christ be the standard. Don't be critical of others. Don't put yourself in the place of Christ. Instead, we go to him and allow him to take the plank out of our eye. Remember that whole whole, uh, teaching there. And hopefully that is something that you've caught yourself this week. Saying, Lord, how could I be less judgy? (laughs) And so here we have some closing remarks as he's getting through. He's going to be talking about how to distinguish between certain things and and even some warnings toward the end but right here in in Matthew chapter 7 starting in verse 7 Jesus goes right into this next part without much context he says ask and seek and knock let's pray father in heaven as we open up your word we read the words of Jesus here today give us understanding Please, that your spirit would teach us, that you would fill us, that you would anoint our ears and our minds and our hearts to, to take this in, and that you would anoint my lips, my mind, that the words that I speak are from you and not me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Ask, seek, and knock. I mean, come on, how many sermons have we heard on this? I actually haven't preached too many on this, so maybe I've preached it a few times. Ask, seek, knock. But for what? What exactly are we asking for? What am I seeking? What door am I knocking on? If the Bible tells me that if we seek and we seek with all of our hearts that we will find him, then what's, why would I continue to seek? What is it that Jesus is getting after in this particular teaching? And to get a clearer picture, I think we should go to another gospel that talks about this very same thing, but gives a little parable in front of it. So I invite you to go with me to Luke chapter 11. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, where we find the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, which we've, we've dissected and we spent some time in that as well. But right after the Lord's Prayer, he goes into a story. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. Luke 11, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his impudence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? A few things to know as we try to understand this parable. Number one, hospitality was crucial in the Jewish culture. Uh, this idea of showing, someone showing up at midnight and you need to provide for them, you had to do it. There'd be, if you didn't, there would be so much shame placed on you from the community, right? And, and other than that, if he goes to someone else and that person refuses and he has something, then the shame would be put on him, you see? So understanding something that when Jesus is telling this, they understand the concept of hospitality and just how important it is for someone to provide something for someone. Number two, homes didn't have rooms like we have today. So everyone, the living room was at night converted into one massive room where they lay out their mats. A little light was put in the middle. We, we studied this when we looked at uh, that a candle is not put under a bushel, but it's put on the nightstand so all can see in the house. It's that same concept, right? Uh, and with that comes the security side of things, right? Because remember, 
if you store up a lot of good stuff, then people are going to come in and steal and destroy. So they would have security measures. They'd put a, a, usually a bar on the door. Remember those old school type of things? I'm not sure all the, the details to how secure that was, but it was a pretty big deal for them to get everything ready for bedtime and then to go to sleep. As parents with young children, you know exactly what this is like. I don't know about you, but there's something really frustrating to me when you get the kids to bed and someone like the delivery guy comes and pounds on the door or rings the doorbell at 9 o'clock at night. Thinking, dude, I've got kids in here. And so that's exactly what I can imagine what this guy is, is doing as well. Everyone's there. It would be a big deal for him to get up, unbar the door. He would wake up everybody, all those kids that he finally got to sleep. That is not an ideal situation. Number three. This is probably the most important. This parable, remember it's a parable, so Jesus is telling a story. In this parable, the selfish neighbor does not represent the character of God. I gotta say this again, because sometimes we look at this story and we think that the selfish neighbor is God. But Jesus is trying to illustrate something, okay? The selfish neighbor does not represent the character of God. The lesson that is being drawn here is not of comparison, but of contrast. Jesus is saying, here's what this guy would say, but let me tell you what God is, okay? So he, there's this story of comparison, and so I know that sometimes you read this and you go, man, God is a really you know, selfish God, and we just gotta persist and persist and persist before he lets go of his blessings. That's not what... That's not what this parable is teaching at all. God delights to give to his children. That's what Jesus is trying to get out. Okay, so let's go back now and let's look at it again with these eyes and understanding a few things and then we'll break it down. He said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So think about this. You've got two friends. Hopefully you have more than two friends, but let's just say you have two friends. One friend shows up at your house from a long journey unannounced at midnight. Not sure what kind of friend that would be, but we may know one of those people, right? In college, it happens all the time. Somebody just shows up out of nowhere and, you know, whatever. But hopefully, you know, when you're older and you got kids, people aren't just randomly showing up at your house at, at midnight. But in this case, they are, okay? So one of those friends shows up at midnight. You, it is your duty and your responsibility to feed this friend. But you have nothing to give him. So, you go to another friend, someone that you know has bread. Small community, you would know. He complains, says no. You keep asking. The Bible says, uses words persistently, things like that. It actually is the word shamelessly. You keep asking shamelessly. You have no shame and asking for that bread because you know you need to do it. Guys, this is what it looks like. Asking for directions within the first 10 minutes of driving around looking for something. Shameless. Shameless. 
I'm not going to try to figure this out on my own. Or, and if that's not you, then maybe you're like me and you wander around Home Depot looking for that special part that you thought would be there, but it's not, and you don't ask. And even when the guy comes by and says, hey, can I help you with something? No, I'm good. And we keep on going. That's pride. There's no pride in this story. Shameless. It's like walking into Home Depot and saying, I'm looking for this right off the bat. (laughs) Instead of going around looking all over the place, it's asking for directions. Instead of wandering around or driving around looking for it, shameless asking. No pride involved. You realize, I don't got it. I know you have it, and I need it, so I'm coming to you. Shameless. I love that. Finally, he gets up and gets you bread. But the Bible says that he doesn't just throw a loaf at you and say, get out of here, you know, the bare minimum. It says that he gives as much as you need. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Did you catch this? You have a friend who needs and you don't have it so you go to the one who does so that you can give what you receive is it starting to set in just a little bit you can't give what you don't have but you know who has everything you need. So Jesus tells us to ask. Jesus tells us to seek. And he tells us to knock. And for the, for the Greeky people in the room, it basically means keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Now that may be an over-translation to say that we always do those things, but there's certainly nothing wrong with shamelessly asking, shamelessly seeking, and shamelessly knocking when it comes to going to our God. So what are we asking for? What are we seeking? What, what, are we, what door are we knocking on? And I just look at it within the context of, of Luke 11, but in, even in Matthew, it doesn't really say the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us the Holy Spirit. It's still good things, either way. And so some people will debate whether it's Luke is throwing in there something that, you know, whatever. The, the point is, is I believe that as we are asking for something that we do not have we're asking for the spiritual food that we need daily ask for the holy spirit ask for the holy spirit and keep asking for the holy spirit and i say that because i don't want just to 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 get into this point to say well i've asked and i don't have so i have to keep asking so i keep getting or, or that I get it again, or you lose it, things like that. I don't think that's the case. I believe that when you ask for the Holy Spirit, when you've given your heart to Jesus, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But you know what? There's something about asking that humbles the heart. Isn't there? So it's not that maybe you don't have it. Now, you may have blocked some of the things that the Spirit is trying to do in your life. There's no question about that where the Spirit is trying to work and do all these things and you've let pride and selfishness and these things get in the way and the Spirit's been trying to break through and you've just kind of put these walls up 
Maybe you've been critical. You know, maybe you haven't been kind to people. Maybe you have been unforgiving. Whatever the case is, now you've got the spirit is not that it wasn't there, not that it wasn't working, but we kind of get in the way. And so by asking for the spirit, then maybe that's the time of saying, Lord, maybe there's an area in my life that I've just been blocking it and I just want to give you permission to come into those areas. How many of you find it difficult to ask for help? You don't have to raise your hand. I will, though. Sometimes it's hard to ask for help. To ask somebody, hey, could, could you give me a hand? Now, if there's someone that is far, by far much better of an expert in something, then I'm probably going to ask them, right? I mean, I, if I don't know how to do something, I'm going to go find someone who knows how to do it. But when I think I know how to do something, I've watched enough YouTube videos, right? And I try to accomplish something, and I've been working, and I've been working, and I've been working, and I've been working, and the last thing I want to do is go and ask and give up on this project that I've been working so hard on. Jesus says, ask. Shamelessly. Seek. And I can't help but go back to what Jesus has already told his disciples when he tells them that here's the remedy for worry, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you all these good things right and so I can't help but tie those two things together if he's telling us to seek the kingdom earlier and he tells us to seek later I it I just have that natural tendency if he doesn't tell me something else to seek then I'm going to go back to the thing that he already told me to seek and that would be to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and In that promise, earlier, he said, all these things will be added unto you. And in this case, he says, seek and you will find. And knock. This is the one that kind of trips me up for a second. Because I'm like, knock where? The only only thing I can think of when I I get to knocking is in Revelation chapter 3. Remember when Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Right? That's Jesus knocking, though, on our hearts. That's Jesus knocking. He is the solution to Laodicea. He is the one that totally transforms, right? And so in that, and I think, well, well, then what am I knocking on? But then I have to ask the question, why do we knock? Because we want in. There's a desire of someone, that we want someone to open the door and give us hospitality to let us in. I started to think about that. What, is that. what would that look like in this context? And I look at it and it says, those who knock desire to be in the presence of the Lord. Right? Because if I'm not knocking, then I don't want to go. There's nothing more scary to me than knocking on a door that I don't know who's behind. I don't know what you think as a pastor. Maybe I should have gone to literature evangelism school when I was a kid. But, but that to me is scary. For, the, for some of you, you find it to be the greatest adventure of all time. You extroverts, you, that's great. But in this case, oftentimes, extrovert or introvert, doesn't matter. Sometimes we are too afraid to knock on the door because we're afraid that God's not going to open. Now, there are times in Scripture where you see, like Noah's Ark, where the door shuts, right? Someone comes, bangs on the door, and wants in. Well, it didn't open. Remember the story of the, of, of the ten virgins. 
bridegroom waiting, all those things, they go and they say, you know, let us in. They, they, didn't, they didn't let them in. So, I mean, there's stories in Scripture that talk about this idea of not doing it, but in this case, Jesus is talking to those who are his followers, those who are seeking the kingdom with all their heart. It's not a last-ditch effort. Jesus isn't just a magic name that you just spout out and your prayers are answered. That's not what this is about. Jesus is saying, those of you that are asking, those of you who are seeking, when you're seeking first the kingdom of heaven, when you knock, I guarantee you I will open that door. Don't be afraid to knock. Ask, seek, knock. And here's the promise. Here's the promise, my church family. It will be given to you. The Spirit will be given to you. You will find the kingdom. You, it will be opened to you. His arms of mercy will be opened to you. So Jesus tells us to ask, seek, and knock. And so throughout my life, I've read that. I thought, man, I don't feel like I'm asking enough. And I don't know if I'm seeking enough. And I'm certainly not knocking enough. And so there's this guilt that sets in. Now, Jesus is telling us to do these things. So I don't want to dismiss what Jesus is saying. But could there be another side to this? Not to say that asking, seeking, and knocking is not important. Of course it is. We've just talked about why it's important. But could Jesus be proving a point? Could he be looking at this and trying to tell us something different instead of just what we do, but rather who we go to? Think about it. A friend comes to you in need. They show up. Maybe they're asking. Maybe they are seeking. Maybe they are knocking. But they're not quite sure who to ask, where to seek, and where to knock. <laughs> and you, they show up in your life. Without Jesus... You don't have anything to offer. Can I say that again? Without Jesus, you don't have anything to offer. You can point them to a church. You can point them to doctrines. You can, you can point them all over the place. Well, this is what you need to be doing. <laughs> Without Jesus, you can do nothing. You have nothing to offer. And that's, I think Jesus is getting to that point to saying, you don't got it, so you got to go. So this is what we do. We go and ask, but then we give what we ask for. It's not asking so that you and I can just hoard it all. It's to share it with somebody else. What good is grace if I just hang on to it? But how powerful is grace when I share it? What good is the gospel if I just say, I've got the good news, if I don't share it and say, let me tell you the good news? We give what we ask for. And here is where I think Jesus is, is, is coming to, is it's not so much what we do, but it's who we go to. What Jesus is saying is that God is faithful. 
He will always, listen, he will always give you what you need. He will always reveal himself when you seek him and he will always answer the door to his children. So don't be too proud to ask for help from your Savior. Don't get distracted from seeking his kingdom. Don't be too afraid to knock on that door. God knows what you need. And he promises to give you what you need. And they're all good things. So what does this look like in your life? Okay, pastor, ask, seek, knock. God is faithful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard it before. How does that change my life today? Well, it won't if that's your attitude. (laughs) But when we seek him, just think about this. What does it look like in your life if you knew that absolutely everything you need, you have in Jesus Christ? I've said it before and I'll say it again, that in Christ, you lack nothing. I was talking to a friend of mine I went to school with back in college. He called me last night, talking for a long time. And he's just, it, you got to know the guy. He's just a kind of, just a really fun guy. I've, I've known him for so long. And it's like every time we talk, we just kind of pick up where we, we last were. I, I wouldn't say we were best of friends, but we were, good, we were good friends and we always talked and got along. And he's talking to, to me about his journey. He's, he's older than me. He's still single. He's a, he's a teacher. Uh, but man, his, I, I know this for a fact because over the last 20 years, he has told me how much he wants to get married and have a family. That, that's his dream. And he began to tell me, he said, you know, Stephen, I have, I've been living this life looking for my life partner and no one was ever good enough for me. There were people that came in my life and I would just dismiss them because I just didn't think that they were going to be the right fit. They, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't going to fulfill me. And so we started to talk about that. And I said, you know, that's a really neat observation that you have, that you recognize that they wouldn't fulfill you. I said, but here's the thing. If you're looking for someone or something to fulfill you, you will always be let down. And it just won't work. And it's not fair to them, and it's not fair to you. But I said, but here's the thing. In Jesus Christ, you are fulfilled. In Jesus Christ, you have everything you need. You have love, you have joy, you have peace, you have these things, and you don't have to go looking in all the places to find it. I, I truly think the more I study and the more I, I, I live this life, I go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had everything they needed. They lacked nothing. And the enemy came in and convinced them that they were missing something. And what did they do? They went searching for it. And they grabbed onto that fruit and they ate it, hoping that that was going to be the thing that the enemy had convinced them that they needed. But the reality is, is they had everything they needed. And how often do you and I 
go looking in this world or looking to other people trying to find the thing that we think we need, that that will make us happy, that that will fulfill us, that that will, that will give me joy, that will give me peace. And so we go to all the wrong places searching for the thing that we already have in Christ. Oh, how our lives would be different. How different would you and I live if when that little inkling in our heart, because it'll show up, that temptation is what we like to call it, because what is the temptation trying to tell us to do? Something that we're not supposed to do. (laughs) And in the temptation, we look at it and say, oh, that'll make me feel better. I've had a rough day. Oh, if I just had that to eat, or if I just had that to smoke, or if I just had that to drink, or if I just all the things to relieve the stress that I have instead of realizing that you have ultimate peace in Jesus. Right? How different our life would be if I realized that my acceptance and my value and my worth came from him and I don't have to try to prove myself to other people. I don't have to act a certain way. I don't, I don't have to go looking for it in someone else. Maybe someone who's toxic. Maybe someone who's controlling. And they just constantly want to try to tell me how to live my life. And, and when I don't meet up to that expectation, I beat myself up. And then they come and they get with their arms around me. It's this vicious cycle and all the different things that we do within relationships. When you, if, if you knew who I am in Jesus, I'm his child. And I lack nothing in him. And I don't have to take this abusive behavior in my life. What would it look like in your life if you truly believed you lack nothing in Jesus? You ask, you have. You seek, you find. You knock, it's opened. These are promises from Jesus' lips. Forgiveness, it's yours. Guilt, it's gone. Shame, destroyed joy full love unconditional peace surpasses understanding imagine not trying to find those things in the world or in other people but pastor i don't feel it and i'll point you to a little book that if you haven't read it you got to steps to christ such a powerful little book i tried to give it to somebody one time and they said well i already know jesus and i said That's okay, read it anyways. (laughs) Because even though we may know of him, (laughs) there's a radical difference. This is what she says. One of my favorite chapters, Faith and Acceptance. She says, do not wait to feel that you were made whole, but say, I believe it. It is so. Not because I feel it, but because God has promised it. Imagine what your life would look like the decisions that you make, the people that you hang out with, how you relate to your job, how you relate to your kids, how you relate to your spouse, if you realized and recognized that you lack nothing in Jesus. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can say. There's no amount of behavior changes that you can make. It only comes from Jesus, and he transforms us. He's the one that makes you whole, and then you can be a whole person to someone who comes and seeks and knocks. Imagine what it would look like if we had an entire church, all of us, asking, 
for the Spirit, seeking the kingdom, knocking on the door of being in God's presence. But not just asking, seeking, and knocking. But the whole point of what Jesus is trying to make, believing. Believing that God will give it. That he will open it. That we will find it. Believing that we have everything we need in Jesus. Why? So we can give what we ask for. This isn't so I'll feel better. This is to expand the kingdom so we can share the good news of the gospel with those in our lives who show up at midnight asking, seeking, knocking. We ask to give and we give what we ask for. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. Oh, how faithful you are. Even in the times of our life that we were not. But because of your faithfulness, that when your spirit drew us back to ask, to seek, to knock. Lord, thank you that we, we don't have to bang on a door begging and groveling. But as the story reminds us in the prodigal son that you're standing, waiting, and watching. We come home. You run. You run. You grab us. You fall on our neck. You kiss us. You give us a ring and you put your robe of righteousness around us. You say, come on home. Lord, may we give what we ask for because there are many in our very lives who are asking questions. They are seeking something. They are knocking on doors left and right, trying to figure out where their place is in this world. May we run, fall on their neck, bring them home, and show them a God of love and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you today as you continue to ask, seek, knock, and believe that you are free in Jesus. Now go and live like it. Stay by, potluck, fellowship lunch, whatever you want to call it, serving Sabbath. Let's be a blessing to people around us.